Our next article comes to us from Bill W. Bill W. Ready to go. Tradition 5 from 1952. Here we go. Bill W. says to us, Tradition 5 starting Friday, May 21st, by Bill W. The power of music to transport us. We call it the great escape, and we'd love to include the piece that helps you get away. Your go-to piece when you need a little stress relief, maybe? Tell us about it on our website, KUSC.org, or call us at 213-225-7540. That's KUSC.org or 213-225-7540. Shoemakers stick to the last. Better to do one thing supremely than that is the central theme of this tradition. Around it, our society gathers in unity. The very life of our fellowship requires the preservation of this principle. Alcoholics Anonymous can be likened to a group of physicians who might find a cure for cancer and upon whose concerted work would depend the answer for sufferers of the disease. True, each physician in such a group might have his own specialty. Every doctor concerned would at times wish he could devote himself to his chosen field rather than work only with the group. But once these men have hit upon a cure, once it became apparent that the only that only by their united effort could this be accomplished, then all of them will feel bound to devote themselves solely to the relief of cancer. In the radiance of such a miraculous discovery, any doctor would set his other ambitions aside at whatever personal cost. Just as firmly bound by obligation are the members of Alcoholics Anonymous who have demonstrated that they can help problem drinkers as others seldom can. The unique ability of each AA to identify himself with and bring recovery to the newcomer in one way depends upon his learning, eloquence, or on any special individual skills. Okay, let me read that again. I missed a word. The unique ability of each AA to identify himself with and bring recovery to the newcomer in no way depends upon his learning eloquences or on any special individual skill. The only thing that matters is that he is an alcoholic who has found a key to sobriety. These legacies of suffering and of recovery are easily passed among alcoholics, one to the other. This is our gift from God, and it's bestowed upon others like us in the one aim, is the one aim, and today animates AAs all around the globe. There is another reason for this singleness of purpose. We know that we can seldom keep the precious gift of sobriety unless we give it away. 
If a group of doctors possess a cancer cure, they might be conscience-stricken if they fail in their mission through self-seeking. Yet such failure wouldn't jeopardize their personal survival for us. If we neglect those who are still sick, there is unremitting danger to our own lives and sanity. Under these compulsions of self-preservation, duty, and love, it is not strange that our society has concluded that it has but one high mission, to carry the message to those who don't know there's a way out. Highlighting the wisdom of AA Single Purpose, a member tells this story. Restless one day, I felt I'd better do some 12-step work. Maybe I thought, take out some insurance against a slip. I should. But first, I have to find a drunk to work on. So I hopped on the subway to Towns Hospital where I asked Dr. Silkwork if he had a prospect. Nothing too promising, the little doctor said. There's just one chap on the third floor who might be a possibility, but he is an awful tough Irishman. I never saw a man so obstinate. He shouts that if his partner would treat him better and his wife would leave him alone, he soon solved his alcoholic problem. He had a bad case of the DTs. He's pretty foggy now, and he's very suspicious of everybody. Doesn't sound too good, does it? But working with him may do something for you. So why don't you have a go at it, young man? I was soon sitting beside a big hulk of a man. Decidedly unfriendly, he stared at me out of eyes which were slit in his red and swollen face. I had to agree with the doctor. He certainly didn't look good. But I told him my own story. I explained what a wonderful fellowship we had, how well we understood each other. I bore down hard on the hopelessness of the drunk's dilemma. I insisted that few drunks could ever get well on their own steam. But then in our group, we could do together what we could not do separately. He interrupted me with a scoff at this point, asserted that he fixed his wife, his partner, and his alcoholism by himself. Sarcastically, he asked, how much does your scheme cost? I was thankful that I could tell him nothing at all. His next question, what are you getting out of it? Of course, my answer was, my own sobriety and a mighty happy life. Still dubious, he demanded, do you really mean that the only reason you're here is to try and help me and to help yourself? Yes, I said, that's absolutely all there is to it. There's no angle. Then hesitantly, I ventured to talk about the spiritual side of our program. What a freeze that drunk gave me. I no sooner got the word spiritual out of my mouth that, than he pounded. Oh, oh yeah. Now I see, now I get it. You're proselyting, proselyting 
for some damn religion, sect, or other. Where do you get that no angle stuff? As a matter of fact, I belong to a great church. That means everything to me. You got a nerve to come in here talking religion. Thank heaven I came up with the right answer for this one. It was based four square on the single purpose of AA. You have faith, I said, perhaps far deeper faith than mine. No doubt you're better taught in religion, religious matters than I. So I can't tell you anything about religion. I don't even want to try. I'll bet, too, that you could give me a better perfect definition of humility. But from what you told me about yourself and your problems and how you're supposed to lick them, I think I know what's wrong. Okay, he said, give me the business. Well, said I, I think you're just a conceited Irishman who thinks he can run the whole show. Woo! This really rocked him. But as he calmed down, he began to listen. While I tried to show him that humility was the main key to sobriety. Finally, he saw that I wasn't attempting to change his religious views. That I wanted him to find the grace in his own religion that would aid his recovery. From there on, we got along fine. Now, concludes the old timer, suppose I've been obliged to talk to this man on religious grounds. Suppose my answer had to be that AA needed a lot of money, that AA went in for, went in for education, hospitals, and rehabilitations. Suppose I suggested that I take a hand on his domestic and business affairs. Where would have I wound up at? No place at all, of course. Years later, many years later, this tough Irish customer likes to say, my sponsor sold, sold me on one idea, and that was sobriety. At that time, I couldn't have bought anything else. Amen. And with that, thank you, Bill W., for bringing us AA and our program. We wouldn't have anything if it wasn't for your, uh, for Bill W.'s great uh, faith. And and thank God for his battering average that he was, uh, he was battering. He couldn't hit the sober ball over the fence. Thank God for humility and sobriety that he started hitting fence and he taught us how to be sober and be able to hit, hit the ball over the fence in life and stick to the job, stick to the relationships, stick to a happy life through humbleness, through being teachable, through surrendering. I myself, I'm going on 27 years sobriety. I am very grateful for my journey. Thank you guys for listening in. Let's go ahead and listen to the next story. Let's take a break. My name is Bill. I'm an alcoholic. And we were asked, would the members of Alcoholics Anonymous please identify themselves? 
Okay, that's good. Uh, early on, I was told that uh, we were the, uh, the body of the program of Alcoholics Anonymous, and if we were the body, the traditions were the skeleton of that body. And with that, I could be planting. My name is Clancy Emerson, I'm an alcoholic. Glad to uh, be here this morning. Pretty good sized group to discuss such dreadful things as the traditions. The problem with dealing with the traditions, most people just, in much of the country, they just feel the traditions are something, the only reason they have them read is to see if newcomers can pronounce autonomous or anonymity. And in many areas, they don't read them at all. I was noticing in New York meeting the other day, they didn't read the traditions, because they don't read the traditions in New York much. I've never heard them read when I was at a meeting there. There's nothing much of a deal, just, you know, they're just stuff. And it's hard to remember that uh, in certain areas, the traditions are the most important therapeutic we have. The steps certainly resolve our individual attempts to return to life. But if there's no place to return to, it is of no value. The uh, traditions are, you know, so often people, especially new people, think, well, here's the steps and here's the traditions, and they all wrote them in the book in 1939, and it's all very nice. It's hard to remember. The steps were written, of course, in 1938 and published in that book. But the traditions were not, there were no traditions, because Bill and Bob did what almost every other founder of major spiritual movements do. They operate under the illusion that the purity of our purpose is so wonderful that we need no rules, that our purity of purpose will keep us on the path. And such motives are really grand, except for one thing they forget, that organizations are not made up of ideals, they are made up of human beings. And human beings are fallible and mistake-prone and unknowingly corruptible and just diversified aims and goals, even operating under the same general spiritual aim, as it were. So in the early years of AA, there were a lot of problems. I mean, they didn't know what to do about it because there's no rules, there's no laws, there's no way to enforce anything. A guy in Florida was selling AA memberships. They wrote to him and said, you shouldn't do it. He said, why not? We had no answer for that one. Well, because we don't think you should. Well, I, don't, I think I should. What do you think of that? You know. And that great story about the possibly apocryphal about the club that put 61 rules on the wall of what you should do to become a member. And finally, Bill Wilson theoretically came by and put in rule 62 that said, don't take yourself so damn seriously. But on and on, AA has always been, have always been members of AA who have pushed, pushed it to the wall, to the limits. And when there were no limits, they pushed it a long way. And the net result of this, of course, was not nothing so bad, you know. One of the big, as they say, one of the big uh, 
splashes of AA was from the catcher for the Cleveland Indians, announced publicly that he was an AA and they had pictures of him in all the sport pages in 1940, and in Raleigh Helmsley. He was famous because he was Bob Feller's catcher and they all was, yes, I'm an AA and people were very interested in all sorts of people with breaking their anonymity. Bill Wilson went on tour breaking his anonymity in city after city to show the wonderful work AA was doing. There were no laws, there were no rules. Everybody felt the wonderfulness of what we're doing will save us. But what in reality happened, of course, more and more people got drunk, more and more people died. And eventually, Bill, in his obsessive introspection, start thinking about what could we do to formulate at least some suggestions. Because he noticed as he was getting correspondence from all the world, he answered all the correspondence for a long time. In the early 1940s, mid-40s, he was still answering questions from groups. What do we do when a member does this? What do we do when a member does that? And he wanted to write every answer because he wanted to make sure it was done right. And because uh, he felt it would come apart if he, if it just some guy came and wrote an answer. But he began to realize he couldn't keep it up. It was growing. There were thousands of people out there. And there were notes that many of the questions from all over the world were the same. And he was, he began to realize there are certain basic things that trouble people in AA. And if we don't find solutions for them, they'll go down the toilet. We lose enough people without unnecessarily losing them. And then someone called his attention. To, he had begun to formulate in his mind a little bit, but uh, maybe some things he could discuss. Then in 1945, a member submitted an article to the grapevine about something Bill Wilson had never heard of. This article was about something called the Washingtonians, a group that had been in the 19th century, 1840, and he explained the difference between the Washingtonian goals and the Washingtonian demise. And Bill got very interested in this, and he uh, did some quick studies on it and worked on it, dug out some literature on it. And he began to see a correlation if any of you don't know who the Washingtonians are, they're the only other group in history that ever had any large number of sober alcoholics. Six guys got together in a bar in Baltimore in 1840 and said, Jesus, we're going to die. Let's stop drinking. So they, and they got some other guys, they got some other guys. And over a short period of time, they formulated a group that was in many ways similar to what AA is. It's really remarkable. Uh, they had to set up a policy where people would go from town to town to, they would share speakers to talk about alcoholism. They'd talk about their experience with alcoholism. They'd try to help others. They just, it was really a thing. And they just grew tremendously because nothing had ever been like this before. By 1845, it's estimated there were 100,000 sober alcoholics up and down the eastern seaboard and as far west as Ohio. 
Now that's a hell of a lot faster than AA grew in its first five years, I'll tell you. And it was a great thing. And they began to just feel we can help everybody. And they, they got into a fatal problem. Bill Wilson writing in Grapevine at the end of 18, 1945 was commenting what he had learned. He said they seemed to have certain things that troubled them, such as excessive publicity seeking. Because when they went to talk somewhere, they had an article in the paper saying, John Anderson from Baltimore will discuss alcoholism tonight. And people would fight over who got the most publicity and who got the most importance. They fought over who was president of the various chapters. They got into deep into self-aggrandizement. They, they lost their singleness of purpose. First of all, they began, they thought that now we can cure people who have laudanum problems, which was the drug of its day. Then some of the people got into abolition. Abraham Lincoln addressed several Washingtonian movements about the problem of slavery. But everybody who had something to do, let's bring it to the Washingtonians and we'll solve it. And everybody went at full speed and doing these things. By the end of the 1840s, the movement was for all intents and purposes extinct. There were no sober alcoholics left. There were some abolitionists left in the Washingtonians. There were some people who had political axes to grind, but all the sober alcoholics were drunk again. Apparently they were gone somewhere, many of them dead. And it was so completely wiped out that Bill Wilson, the founder of AA, had never heard of it in 1945. Now that's a big wipeout. So he codified what he thought based on what he saw in the Washingtonians, based on the letters he got from all over the world, based on what he saw, based even on what he felt. One of the great traditions that we still try to follow is the, I want to quote it exactly correctly, He wrote in the spring of, or the summer of 1946, they published his suggestions. He made it particularly strong in the grapevine. You gotta remember, the grapevine at that time is in a sense, the official sounding board for Bill Wilson. When he had something to say, he put it in the grapevine, article after article after article. And he introduced these 12 traditions the way Annette read them this morning. That was the original form of the 12 traditions, the long form, but he also expressly said, these are not laws, these are not rules, these are just suggestions that you may wish to follow. To many of us who have become old right-wing fascist AA pigs, <laughs> we always wish there were laws that we could punish people with, you know. Especially if you're a sponsor, I, uh, you know, for example, Gene was talking to us about sponsorship. In my areas, there are some people who feel I'm a fascist-type sponsor. And I, uh, it's impossible to be a dictator-type sponsor without the full consent of the sponsee, because all they ever have to say is, screw you, and the relationship is over. 
there's no rules or laws. I've always thought it'd be nice if we could have people who came in the night. So, did you say screw you to your sponsor? Did you break one of the traditions? Come with us. Look, we'd teach him. We'd teach him love. But there's no rule. The only thing that's important about them is, it turns out if you don't, if you ignore them long enough, pretty soon you drift off. And all your knowledge of the steps are fine if you can live in a vacuum. But very few of us can. And that's why these traditions are most valuable. I started to say the one that really was maybe the last one written, formulated Bill's mind. I, some of you saw the, uh, in, the in 1945, some of you know, Marty Mann, his first woman in the state, so was founded the National Council on Alcoholism, is going to revolutionize, and she went around the country breaking ground, and everybody said, I'm sacrificing myself for the good of others. And she got Bill Wilson and Dr. Bob on her board of directors and her letterheads. It said board of trustees, William Wilson, Robert, Dr. Robert Smith, to say they were AAs, and so on. And this created such a terrible stink around AA. Terrible feelings, you know, because some of the people were in favor of it and some of them didn't. And Bill Wilson was going west. I started to say, you saw the TV picture about uh, Bill Wilson a few months ago, where at the end he sat in a little meeting in San Bernardino, and nobody knew who he was. And he just had to talk to a newcomer. Well, that's a tough feeling, I'll tell you. <laughs> but he, uh, he was on the way west that, he was on the way west because he's going out to talk to some AAs in Los Angeles and to act as technical advisor on a movie called The Lost Weekend. And on that trip, they notified, they got a hold of him in Los Angeles and said, AA is coming apart if you don't do something about your membership of the National Council on Alcoholism. So he sent a four-page telegram. That's a long telegram to send back to put the grapevine explaining that he was having his name taken off the letterhead and formulated um, for other reasons. Besides that, number 10, Alcoholics Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues. Hence, the AA no name ought never be drawn in public controversy. In the long form, it talks about we are not involved with anything here. And, uh, but so in 1946, these traditions were introduced. Now, Alcoholics Anonymous members were the same then as they are now. They resist change. They created a firestorm. A lot of people said, what good ideas. But most of AA said, baloney. We don't want any stinking rules. You know, we're here to find spiritual freedom. Don't tell me what I can do. And there was a big hoorah about it. Bill wrote several articles in the grapevine in his house started in the 1950s, 40s. 1949, about, he published the short form of the tradition to make them more realistic. And then in 1950, they brought these traditions to the first International Convention of AA, which again was not almost held, because AAs then were just the way they are now. Some said, we'll have it in Akron, we won't have it. Some said, we'll have it in New York, or we won't have it. 
We'll show you maturity, you son of a bitch. Now, they finally had a compromise on Cleveland so they could all go there and not feel hurt. True story. But at that convention, among other things, they introduced the 12 traditions formally. I have some tapes home of that convention of guys taking one tradition at a time and getting up and talking for 15 or 20 minutes on that tradition, trying to explain to people that they're nothing to be afraid of, they're not laws, and you should we should just take them as advisors. And these guys are really earnest guys. And you hear those tapes one after another, and these guys trying to describe them. And in 1950, so then they accepted them. They accepted the traditions in 1950, that convention. Only one change was made. But the way Bill had originally issued them in 1949, there had been one change in the tradition since they were written in 1949. Some of you know who that is, of course. That's in the third tradition. It originally read, the only requirement for membership is an honest desire to stop drinking. And after they begin to thinking about that, they begin to realize only people who have been here a while have an honest desire to stop drinking. That's an old timer's tradition. The only requirement for membership is a desire, any kind of desire, just to get her off my back or hold that job. That's all we need. We can learn the niceties later. So here are the traditions, and they've been here ever since. And they are, seems like sometimes they are honored more in the breach than are in the observance. And they're all quite simple. There's nothing very complex about them. People like to read meaningful things into them. What they mean, very much like the steps, they mean, I have to really watch the time this morning. I'm not holding off dinner, I'm holding off Alanons. <laughs> you don't know what it's like to be released by a group of Alanons. And they start on time, and so it's kind of tough, you know, finish your talk and there's a discussion group going on over there. Yeah. But I don't want to make trouble. I... But they're like, very much like the steps. They mean what they say. Most of us have such, are always looking for deep secret meanings in things. What, what's just a, what's that really mean? You know, I, I remember when I was new many years ago, sitting at a couple meetings where they had to go for two meetings. But they finally, where they were deciding, what's the difference between defects of character and shortcomings? In one step it says shortcomings, the next step it says defects of character. Now there's a metaphysical difference, what do you think it is? And finally some old fool brought a note, a letter from a grapevine article from uh, Bill Wilson, which he had said, I used those two phrases so I wouldn't be redundant in following steps. It doesn't stop me. I know there's a secret meeting there somewhere. Hopefully that crap around here, you know. But it's really what makes it so difficult is people like us who feel we are so terminally complex can't accept that there might be simple 
solution. So the purpose of staying today is little by little simplifying the AA till it gets down to where it is. As Dr. Bob said in 1950, that same convention, you know, the last analysis, it's just love and service. You know, these are just ways we do it. But people like to read metaphysical things. But today there's not much difficulty with these traditions. Um, as I read them, we, uh, we understand that AA unity certainly is necessary. We never have it, but it's certainly necessary. It's a goal to shoot for because AA unfortunately is made up of human beings and human beings are incapable of perfection. So we live with pettinesses and upsets and so on. But we know that we try to achieve AA unity even though we know you shouldn't go to that group or that group, just go to this group. And we know that you must not listen to conflicting data because we all have our own strong opinions as human beings. But we try to think AA is, should be what it is. In fact, I sometimes, and God, I, I always secretly envied something my wife has. She can go to church anywhere in the world and she knows she's going to hear a Catholic Mass. That's going to be pretty much the same thing. Right? You can't even find Lutherans. You know, they just, they're underground in Italy, in the catacombs, being brought up to the Colosseum to be devoured by Italians. But in AA, that's one thing that's about if you ever travel a lot. There are different forms, but you sit down and they start to read the 12 steps. And you get to think, now I know, I know who I am now. I know what to do now. And the 12 traditions much the same. The, there is a unity we aim for. The, uh, for our group purpose, there is one ultimate authority of loving God as he may express himself through our group conscience. Some groups have individual group consciences. But theoretically, it's a group conscience. I know I started a group once in Los Angeles that was uh, in my zeal and ego I ran as a fiefdom for a while. I made a mistake one day, I had an open election, swept out of office. I'd only been secretary going on three years, crisis. I felt like a president of the birth of a African nation, not ready for self-government, yet they insist on it. But uh, one thing I did in that group, that I, I think it's good to do, that was the first group I ever saw where we had secret ballots, so anyone could express their real feelings without being judged. Whenever you have an AA ballot, I think it's a great place to have a secret ballot. I always, I've watched so many places, people go to hell, I said, and now we all sit here, who wants Betty? And Betty turns around, and Fred turns around and says, you dirty fink, I'll get you later. You're like, you know, on and on. And it shouldn't be that way, but we're human beings. But the group conscience, the vote of the group conscience. Hold it. One thing that is under stress and attack today, continues to be, and I think we have to do something to remember it, is in the third tradition, where the only requirement for membership is a desire to stop drinking.
Please turn to side two of this cassette to continue with the program. Thank you. For membership is a desire to stop drinking. And the fifth tradition, which says, each group has the one primary purpose, to carry its message to the alcoholic who still suffers, not to the compulsive eater, not to the compulsive gambler, not to the narcotic addict, but to the... Now, why, why is this so important? Is it some sort of an egotistical thing? Is it some sort of holier-than-thou? Not at all. It gets back to the root of what makes AA successful. Duffy mentioned it. Paul mentioned it. But it always gets back to this. What makes AA different than any other therapy in the treatment of alcoholism in the last 5,000 years, except the Washingtonians, it's one alcoholic talking to another alcoholic, which hopefully helps him reduce his feelings of difference at least enough so that he will begin to take actions he does not yet believe in. That is what AA is. And no matter what you would like to think, or I would like to think, it is hard enough to find a connection in a drinking pub. I, don't, I get no relationship from a compulsive eater, for example. That is why these other organizations were formed. All of these, I've watched every one of these other 12-step programs formed. Most of them were formed within a few blocks of me in Los Angeles. Narcotics Anonymous formed at the North Hollywood Club. Why did they form Narcotics Anonymous? So that narcotics addicts could have a place to identify with other narcotics addicts. And not have to imagine, well, maybe that way for alcoholics, but my case is different. And then in 1959 or 60, they started Overeaters Anonymous. And they went to the AA club and got, they had nobody on abstinence yet. And there were about seven fat Jewish ladies meeting at a, our Savior's Episcopal Church on Olympic Boulevard. So at the moment, we got speakers. And I went over and spread for them. I weighed about 125 pounds then. I was a... I had no front teeth, but I was a good one to talk about. They wanted me to talk about obsessions. So I talked about obsessions and how it must be. Then, I remember, I must have had to be the second or third speaker. I spoke to her oh, every couple of weeks for about six months until I found in decent speakers. But I remember sitting there, and I was really trying to help these women in my benighted way, but they get talking. After I get done talking, they're talking about their experiences. And I was appalled at what I was hearing. These people were saying, "Man, I, I put off the chicken and I ate a cake. And I thought to myself, Jesus, what sick beasts. Remember a woman saying, I, I ate till I couldn't eat the right. I had to go to the bathroom and put my finger on my throat and come back so I could eat some more. Now, you ought to be in the insane side. You are a sick bitch. I didn't say anything because I don't make trouble, but I'll tell you. Yeah, but can't you eat like a man, for Christ's sake? 
about three minutes and let it go back. Going and throwing up food so you can eat more? I can see doing that for drinking, but food? Food. I just... As understanding as I wanted to be, I could not understand what they were doing. I could understand it intellectually, but I had no identification. And they found Gamblers Anonymous about that same time. And went to similar meetings. Went to talk at a couple of their meetings. Because they had A's come and talk at first. And these guys talking about, come on, I got my, I got the Gamblers here. Come on down there. Come down to God here. That's where I was I lost it. Jesus, you goofy. Sorry. And then you went to Las Vegas. Why'd you just get a job and uh, straighten up? I, why do they form these organizations? So that people could identify with other people of the same persuasion, the same feeling, so they could say, yes, I know how you feel, not, oh, I know how it must be. How sad for you, my dear. We've all heard that crap all our lives. And then, 1970s, formed Cocaine Anonymous. I guess I talked about their first meeting at the Marina Mercy Hospital. Same thing. And I know why they did it. I couldn't understand why the hell they were taking cocaine. But I understand why drinkers drink. Because I know what that means. I can identify with that. The concept of all these organizations is so that you will have someone to identify with. Now, don't misunderstand me. No one in AA ever says you cannot be an alcoholic and something else. In fact, some people carry it to bizarre extremes. That's what they're trying to prove, you know. I'm an alcoholic, and an narcotic addict, and an overeater, and a codependent, and a and by that time, you just, who cares? <laughs> who cares? This is alcoholism. It's not a recitative of your goddamn weaknesses. <laughs> we don't judge. <laughs> but that is why, and it's expressly said in our pamphlet, it's expressly said in the to be an Alcoholics Anonymous member, you must be an alcoholic. You don't go to AA to overcome an eating problem. You shouldn't. You should AA to overcome a drinking problem. You can be an alcoholic and whatever else. But the desire to stop drinking implies that you drink too much and you can't stop on your own, which is what we say in the first step. Our drinking is out of hand and our ability to stop drinking is out of hand. So, singleness of purpose. Our whole, our number one priority is to carry the me message to the alcoholic who still suffers, not someone who suffers from something else. We can understand and we can share with them and we can help them. As we said in, our, in Los Angeles, we uh, read a preamble. It says, this is a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous. All the participants you hear none will be alcoholics. If you're, this is an open meeting, so if you're a member of the community, you're more than welcome. We hope it helps you. If you have your primary problems other than alcohol, we suggest you go to a 
program, a 12-step program that more specifically addresses your problem. While you're here, we hope you gain something from what you're hearing. And we mean that. It isn't a matter of proving anything to anybody. It's called the signalness of purpose. Because if you just remember for a moment, those 100,000 Washingtonians who suddenly thought, we can heal every problem. And away they went. And they all went, they died. And I'll tell you, the people who do not address themselves with the symbols of purpose here eventually go down the toilet. Sooner or later the groups do. You don't have to fight too hard about it because they don't, they don't seem to stay. That's why it's important that the traditions we address from time to time to remember what our primary purpose is. Because if we lose that identification, if it just gets a bunch of people with different problems getting up and talking about how, what they think, it is going to be very long before they're all down the toilet. I can guarantee you. The seventh tradition has been a problem, but it seems to be resolved now. A couple of years ago, AA had a big financial reserve, and yet they began to see they were not self-supporting. That's not like a paradox, doesn't it? But they began to realize the income from the groups was not enough to sustain AA's world services and its various actions. And it was done, much of it, the support came from literature sales. And they had, like anybody who sells literature, the big buyers got the big discounts, and the little buyers got the little discounts. Now, who do you think is AA's biggest customer for the big book? Hazelden. Hazelden could buy the big book and undersell the local groups. And they were giving AA the most money of, any outs of anybody in the world. And suddenly some began to realize it has never happened, but if we become dependent on Hazelden or anybody else, the day may come when they say, would you mind changing just this one little thing? Just a... There's a something in life called the Golden Rule, and it states, they who have the gold make the rules. And so they changed their discount policy, and everybody got the same discount. Literature prices went down last year to encourage everybody. Now they're back up. But it is now attempting, working very hard, to be self-supporting, even though it has a large financial reserve. But we must continue to be self-supporting. That's one of the great hallmarks of AA, that we don't take anything from anybody, and it staggers people. But that means also, if we have a meeting in a hospital, if the hospital is paying for it, it's not an AA meeting. It is something else. An AA meeting is a self-supporting entity. If the hospital said, here's the coffee, here's the cookies, here's the room, you don't pay anything, we'll just send these patients and you work on them, that's all very nice, but that's an institutional meeting then. That's not an AA meeting. AA meetings are self-supporting for their own contributions, even no matter how little. One of the problems today in dealing with secondary aids to a alcoholism is the clubs, many parts of the country. They have clubs where the meetings and the clubs are 
the same thing. They just take the income from the meetings and give it to the club. And the club somehow does something with it for all week long. And uh, this club rarely contributes to New York. They rarely contribute to the central office. They buy things from the club. And the group say, well, we're self-supporting. We're paying rent. But not really. They're not self-supporting. They are instruments of a secondary AAA. Alcoholics Anonymous groups must be self-supporting. So, says the law firm's tradition, in a short time, we trust this goal will be reached. And it should be reached. And if a group is not self-supporting, can't become self-supporting, they should go out of business. Because whatever it is, it isn't any anymore. But it's a, not a big thing. The traditions are quite clear. If you don't do it right, pretty soon you won't have an AA meeting. That's why many times we get into meetings that are run by outside organizations. You go there and you can just sit entire meetings and not hear a word about alcoholism, drinking or recovery. You hear about codependency. You talk about dysfunctional families. Every time I hear that phrase, the hair on the back of my neck stands up. I used to be concerned several years ago when I first heard that. I thought, God, isn't that tragic? Some people have a dysfunctional family. And I began to notice I've never known anybody who didn't come from a dysfunctional family. Yes, I'm not praying a doubt at all, but the fellow, one of the fellows who spoke yesterday, yes, we were, we were loving and they, they gave me everything I wanted, but they didn't hug me. God, if you were Norwegian Luther, you would never get hugged yet, you know. <laughs> but that's the way people are. Love is. Every family is dysfunctional because we have an ideal in our mind, I suppose, of Robert Young sitting there with his pipe. And, and all of us can look around and say, well, I guess I love these kids, but they're going, that isn't princess. And <coughs> that thing in the kitchen isn't Jane Wyatt, I tell you that. As though everybody else has a wonderful... Families are made up of human beings, and human beings are never perfect. They have problems. That's no big deal. That's why we have the uh, fourth and fifth step. So talk about those things, partially. I think that, uh, but all these, but you go to, go to AA meetings and hear about cocaine, heroin, codependency, dysfunctional families, psychobabble, and everything except what AA is about. Drinking, recovery, maintenance of recovery. Dealing with living problems through alcoholics animals. I'm not saying that people can't have whatever they want, well, obviously. But it's a bad situation when in an AA meeting it's considered old hat to discuss AA. The, uh, the other big one, that the last one I want to talk about this morning is troublesome. Of course, it's one that's been troublesome for years, ever since AA was founded. Anonymity. You know, Marty Mann broke her anonymity. They said, oh, God, what if she gets drunk? Wouldn't that be terrible? Her, her previous psychiatrist, Dr. Thibault, who was able through his ministrations to keep building a 10-year depression, Dr. Thibault 
Again, I don't judge. I'm just reporting facts to you. Dr. Tebow says she may get drunk. I'm not sure. She she may have reinflation of ego at death. But that's one of the ways, Raleigh Helmsley. But to people coming in today, it's still the same thing. Yes, it's nice to be anonymous. We want to protect AA. But wouldn't it? Why, why can't we? Other people give testimonials. You know? Jesus, for a while, it, what's that Raleigh Hills out there in California? They'd have one movie star after another get up and do their commercials on TV, and their eyeballs would be dilated about this thing. I no longer drink alcohol. And I owe it to Raleigh Helms. I don't touch alcohol anymore. The hand would come in. The hand didn't really come in, but you knew it was going to as soon as the movie stopped. I mean, it's just baloney. Why can't AA do that? I guess we have to, serious, we have to protect AA. And maybe at one time in the 1930s and 40s, they were worried about AA. But AA's withstood some great anonymity breakers. Um, what's this woman who called up, I'll cry tomorrow, what's Lillian Roth? She decided to help AA against the advice of responsible other people. She wrote this book, I'll cry tomorrow. She's, I'm in AA, not all of these wonderful people. And it's, they say I shouldn't break my enemy, but it's, I want to thank them. And a year and a half later, when she was face down on the streets of Palm Springs, goofed out on booze and pills, she uh, didn't have much to say then, but A survived that. She didn't survive it. AA survived it. Uh, Diana Barrymore wrote this book too much. She said, I remember reading that years ago. It came out. She said then, I know that AA has helped me, and I'm a member of AA, but I found that I can't have wine with dinner. That's the last page of this. You ever see that? Read that. It's funny. And she was dead from wine, from wine with dinner in a couple of years. She must have had a long dinner one night. But there's always been anonymity breaks. And it becomes little by little aware, what is the spiritual premise of anonymity? And that is the big thing. And that's the thing why anonymity is so important. The people that break their anonymity don't hurt AA, but they seem to hurt themselves. In a sense, their effectiveness in AA begins to diminish. And it still happens. This woman who wrote the book last year, I forget her name, about AA. They gave, huh? Faye, uh, huh? Jan Morris? Ann Robertson. What do you mean, Jan Morris? You live in New York, do you? Tradition? Who knows about that? Do fool. Ann Robertson. They gave her a, uh, they gave her complete access to all the AA files on one condition, that she would not break the traditions. And she, she finished her book, I remember AA, and she broke three traditions in the first five pages. And uh, she said, why not? It's going to help me. Maybe it will. But it took, it removed, it removed the one from the book, just another piece of self-aggrandizement. And I'm sure her effectiveness in AA has diminished considerably. She may be more finished, more famous, but her, because it's always that way, because I'll tell you why, I think anyway. Instead of being a person who's being helped by AA, you have now put yourself in a position where you are helping AA. 
I have now risen above AA, and I'm going to let the people know that even a wonderful person like me is in their chicken shit little organization. <laughs> Won't that be wonderful? And the people that do that nearly always have bad times after that. They nearly always have bad times after that. A few years ago, a very active AA, semi-active AA, at that time, was running for president, and he couldn't get off the ground, so he finally announced he's a member of AA. That didn't help either. But from then on, he, uh, he just was a crappy AA. He got into born-again Christian work, because he'd already helped AA all he could. And he's been goofy ever since. It's the same the whole world over. The reason for anonymity is what it means to put principles before personality. Now people say, well, they break my anonymity and I can't help it. That's baloney. In my experience, some of you know, because of the nature of my work, I get a lot of publicity. And much of it is a recovered alcoholic. Six-page article in the Reader's Digest a few years ago. I'm on television all the time in Los Angeles dealing with alcoholic problems downtown. News full-page articles in the Times, Christ, I get more publicity than anybody should have. And there has never been an anonymity break in my life. But I know. I really, but people would say, you said you were a recovered alcoholic. You broke your anonymity. That isn't what it means. It means you must not publicly say you are a member of Alcoholics Anonymous. I can either say, my name is Clancy I, and I'm an AA, or I can say, my name is Clancy Immerslin, and I'm a recovering alcoholic. But I cannot say I'm Clancy Immerslin, a member of Alcoholics Anonymous. I cannot use AA for self-aggrandizement, because then I get in that same position again of putting personalities ahead of principles. I must remain in the position, even though it's hard for me to remember sometimes, AA is helping me. I am not helping it. And we must all remember that. That Alcoholics Anonymous and its non-enforceable traditions and its traditions that half of AA didn't want and some still defy. And there are groups in the country and in the world where they refused to accept the 12 traditions in 1990. I mean, they are few and far between, but there's a few of them. I've been in one of them. We don't read the goddamn tradition. We don't believe it. They don't have the book 12 and 12 there because it's got the traditions in it. Now, it isn't the sort of place you'd want to go to find love, I don't guess. Because they all, old fools sit there and swing in the wind, but, uh, but these traditions, non-enforceable, are something that must be observed. And the only bad thing about it is this. The only people who are in, interested in the traditions, usually, are the people who already are interested in the traditions. You know, the people who need to hear about the traditions are the young people sitting around the pool. I don't mean in this particular case, but anywhere, you know. Tradition means nobody ever comes to a tradition meeting. Oh, we can go on a trip that day. And I understand that. I spent much of my life the same way. But we gotta come to remember in a sense, your life depends more on the traditions in some ways than it does the steps. 
because without a viable place to be, it doesn't make difference what steps you work or what you do or how wonderful you are if you have no place left to share and identify and give and sacrifice and keep yourself less than leading in your own life's recovery. And it's a, that's why I think in our group, I'm not saying what I should do it, but in our group, we read the long form of the traditions once a month. We read the short form three times a month and the long form once a month so that newcomers keep hearing the reasons why these short form, I mean the short forms are just brrr, but if you hear the long forms and then read it, they, they flesh it out, they tell the why. And the end of it, I think, is the best reason why we should, should we do it to become wonderful? Should we do it so that we will become a law and order society? Shall we do it that, uh, so that the meetings will run smooth and start on time? Shall we do it that we'll have the best meeting in the world? No. For a much better reason. The last sentence of that 12 traditions in long form, to me, it always is the touching thing. Why should I observe these traditions? Because, so that our great blessings may never spoil us, that we may forever live in thankful contemplation of him who presides over us all. Thank you. Set aside prayer. Lord, help me to set aside everything I think I know about you, everything I think I know about myself, everything I think I know about others, and everything I think I know about my recovery, my own, for a new experience. And you, Lord, a new experience in myself, for a new experience in my fellow man, and a much needed experience in my recovery. In Jesus' name, amen. Second prayer, our Father, we come to you as a friend. You have said that where two or three are gathered together in your name, there you will be in the midst. We believe that you're here with us now. We believe this is something you would have us to do and that it has your blessing. We pledge with you always to be honest and to search our heart for weakness and errors that we may deserve your help. We believe that you want us to be real partners with you in this business of living, accepting our full responsibilities and certain that the rewards will be freedom, growth, and happiness. For this, we are grateful. We ask you at all times to guide us, help us daily to come closer to you, and grant us new ways of living our gratitude. Amen. <clears throat> Please say the serenity prayer with me. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. And now, please do the third step prayer with me. God, I offer myself to thee to build with me and to do with me as thou wilt. Relieve me of the bondage of self that I may better do thy will. Take away my difficulties, that victory over them may bear witness to those I would help of thy power, thy love, and thy way of life. May I do thy will always. Amen. Seven-step prayer. 
my creator. I am now willing that he should have all of me, good and bad. I pray that you now remove from me every single defect of character that stands in the way of my usefulness to you and my fellows. Grant me the strength as I go out from here to do your bidding. Amen. Okay, we're going to do the uh, acceptance prayer. Okay, the acceptance prayer. You know how the acceptance prayer, it goes, Okay, God, it is true that I, of all people, strange as it may seem, and even though I didn't give my permission, really, really am an alcoholic of sorts. And it is all right with me. Now, what am I going to do about it? Amen. God bless you, family.